Before we jump into this, uh, one of the first things I want to do corporately uh, as we start this new series and we start this new year is I just want to pray for us as a community. If you close your eyes, would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. Lord, we pray that you would get the honor that you're due. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and that we would not just be found as people that hear your word and allow it to just go past our ears and forget about it. That we'd be listening to actively put into practice the things that you want us to obey. God, ultimately, that you would grow us to look more like Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is exciting to be together this morning, and we are starting a series called Replicate, Compelled to Replicate, and I'm excited about this series. One of the reasons is Pastor Mike, as he taught last week out of Exodus, did a really good job of setting us up for this series. As we're going to talk about this understanding of putting into practice the things that we're learning and investing in other people. I'm excited about where God has brought us as a community but to be honest, I'm even more excited about where he's taking us. As we are trained, as we're equipped, as we define words like discipleship, and we continue to celebrate Christ's likeness through discipleship in particular. It goes without saying that Jesus is the all-time greatest discipler, investor, teacher, pouring out into other people -er, right? That goes without saying. He took a bunch of unschooled, ordinary men who eventually ended up changing the world for the glory of God's name. But then there are debates on who the second greatest discipler is. Some people might say John the Baptist. Others might say the Apostle Paul, possibly Augustine, maybe John Calvin, or more contemporary Howard Hendricks, the prof who invested in people for years. But I actually think the second greatest discipler in all of history is an unknown sensei named Mr. Miyagi. Karate Kid was a movie. It's my third favorite 80s movie. And so if you want to know number one and two, you have to ask me. But it was one of those influential movies for me as a child as I grew up and, grew up and watched this movie. See, Mr. Miyagi trained and equipped, what was his name? Daniel Sun to not only be able to defend himself from the Cobra Kai jerks, all right, if anyone remembers this, this is good stuff, but also to become a karate fighting champion. How did he do this? By teaching Daniel's son how to sand the floor and to wax on and wax off, very good, <laughs> to paint the fence and to paint the house. But Daniel's son didn't see the brilliance in what Mr. Miyagi was doing as he was teaching him these different things that he could be doing. And he actually, and we're not going to show the clip right before this because it's a little inappropriate, but he was a bit upset with Mr. Miyagi because he felt like he was just being taught how to do manual labor for free for Mr. Miyagi. And that's where we pick up in this movie. So tech team, if you would, would you show us this clip? Show me Sander Floor. I can't move my arm, all right? What are you doing? What are you... Ow! Ow, what are you doing? Now show me 
on the floor. How did you do that? Shut up! Stand the floor. Please stand up. Show me sand the floor. Sand the floor. Sand the floor. Sand the floor. Big sucker. Sand the floor. Sand the floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, hot. Wax off. Concentrate. Look at my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hot. Wax off, hot. Wax on, hot. Wax off, hot. Wax on. Wax off. Show me pent fence up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I. Always look, I. Show me pent house, side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! 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 Show me paint fence. Yes! 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 Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand of floor. Yes! 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 Sometimes discipleship isn't what it seems. Don't necessarily know why God's teaching us the things that he's teaching us in the time period that he's teaching them to us. In the 21st century, discipleship seems to have been farmed out to seminaries and to parachurch ministries when Jesus told us, his people, those included in Christ, known as his church, his bride, to go and make disciples. Now, it's a new year, and here's what I'm going to encourage you with. As we start to walk through this text, I need to hear back from y'all, all all right? So you can talk back to the preacher. If you hear something good, I need you to go, "Uh uh-huh, or amen, all right? Those two things are totally acceptable. If you hear something you don't like, go, ugh, all right? That's totally fine. Thank you. (laughs) But I want to make sure as we, as a church, are defining discipleship, that we use words that people understand, that we don't think it's as complicated as most people make it out to be. When we say discipleship, I'm going to give you a slide, I'm going to give you a definition, I'm going to encourage you to take notes this morning. Discipleship, disciplined, making disciplined pupils of Jesus in relationship. That's how we're going to define it, that's how we're going to talk about it. Making disciplined pupils, disciple of Jesus in relationship. 
And this series is near and dear to me as it comes out of a need that myself and others witnessed and experienced over the past many years. I had the opportunity, and I still do, to lead this this ministry called Compelled, where we train people how to share their faith, we train people how to be disciple makers, and when we first started about seven years ago, we were training people how to share their faith in a way that made sense, because the whole idea of witnessing, the whole idea of evangelism is scary to people. And so Compelled Ministries is a nonprofit that came out of this training. But about seven years ago, as we started to equip different people across, especially the Bay Area, we started to notice that we were having a tough time training people or teaching people or telling people how to follow up with those people that they were sharing their faith with. It was easy to tell them the story of Jesus. It was easy to explain the gospel to them, that Jesus lived a perfect life you couldn't, died a death you should have died, and physically rose from the dead, and is exalted to the right hand of the Father, and one day is coming back, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and we can be adopted into the kingdom through belief and faith and repentance that God gives us. And yet, we share that message and some people would say yes to Christ. They would be baptized. They would start to attend church. But unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of follow-up. And so out of that came this training called Replicate, which I've experienced in multiple different churches where I'll just be honest. I'm be honest with you guys. I should have said this in first service so it wouldn't have been in the recording. But here's the thing. I'm not convinced discipleship can happen in churches. I know that sounds really cynical, But I've been in ministry for about 16, 17 years now, and I've noticed how discipleship tends to be farmed out out of the church, that individuals do it out, and I'm not talking about in the walls, I'm talking about you start to get different teachers, you start to be discipled by YouTube, that doesn't work, by the way. And so we started this training, this equipping, that we want to take our entire community through. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we've taught this passage, this chapter, this book, multiple times. Paul, the apostle, says to the church in Ephesus, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people, don't miss that, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. It was this passage in particular through some godly men that spoke into my life that would help shape the type of leader that God is growing me to be. Equipping has more to do with training than it even does with teaching. Did you hear that? Equipping has more to do with training than it even does with teaching, and it is a holistic approach to helping the hearer, the learner, be able to put into practice and grow spiritually out of the application and obedience to the word. The goal is to equip so both the, the, the discipler and the disciplee can both do things for the Lord rather than what has become an epidemic in the church where a pastor stands up and tells you all how to do things and you listen, take notes, say amen, and never do anything with them. So for me, equipping has become the target rather than just trying to get things done. My wife always tells a story about how she taught her oldest, Reagan, who's now almost 12, how to wash the dishes, and I love how my wife Erin would explain that when she would teach Reagan how to wash the dishes, Reagan was not very good at it at first. Erin would have to then go and rewash them herself. She would teach Reagan how to do it, and then Reagan would do it, and then she wasn't good, but then eventually she got a little bit better and a little bit better. It's a good example of equipping. 
The truth is there are some things that we can do better than the people that we're investing in at first, but the hope is to continually pour into them to help them grow in their understanding and their obedience to the word of God. That's what this church ought to be committed to, equipping, equipping and training us to be followers of Jesus that obey what he says. So, Church of the Valley, I know that some of you may be thinking, well, that's really just for religious Christians. I mean, it's New Year, I have a resolution, I'm coming to church, and now you're telling me there's stuff I got to do? Yes. Yes, I am. And you might be thinking, well, discipleship, that's more for the religious Christians, or the more committed, or the marine Christians, or varsity Christians, or the more talented, or maybe you think, oh, that's just for the young people, because they got time. Spencer, do you have time? You don't got time. You got an internship, a job that's about to start. You lead a bunch of ministry. No, you don't have time. The thing is that it's not for young people. You know who it's for? People that have committed themselves to Jesus Christ. That's who it's for. It's not for a special few. It's for those who have been redeemed and are growing to look more like Jesus. That's who it's for. And we should all, we should all, which should literally, if we think about it, should be all of us if we've committed ourselves to Christ. Unless, this is going to sound a bit negative, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Unless you bought into a spiritual lie that said that Christianity was about just covering your bases by acknowledging that God exists and singing some love songs to him. But that's not the Christianity I read in the Bible. The very last things recorded that Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, Levi, is what we know is the Great Commission, which unfortunately has been translated into the great suggestion by many people in the church. And these are marching orders. And this is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' finished work, his incarnation, that God put on skin and walked among us, which we just celebrated at Christmas time. His perfect life lived where he never sinned. He didn't just not do anything wrong. He did everything right. His death on the cross, not for his sin, but your sin, and his resurrection from the dead and the exaltation to the right hand of the Father. That's God's finished work. Did you know Jesus has some unfinished work? Jesus' unfinished work is the great commandment that he gives to us and the great commission. Great commandment, love God, love others, and the great commission, which is given to followers to continue to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here on earth and is accessible through faith and repentance in and to Jesus Christ. Let's read it. Most of you know it. Some of you might have tattooed it on your bodies. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. The end of Matthew. While standing probably on the side of a mountain talking to his disciples, those that were following him, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. I adore this passage. This is my mic check passage, all right? I love this passage. I quote this passage. I wrestle with this passage. I wrestle with each word. I wrestle with the context. Who, who the hearers were, what the point of the passage is, but I also know that sometimes we in the church can overcomplicate things pretty dang good. Did you guys know that? So let's walk through what he said. He starts with all authority has been given to who? To him. To Jesus. 
on earth and in heaven. He is the authority. What's the root word of authority? Author. He is the one that no matter what else is about to be said, we as followers of Jesus should listen to and obey. You know why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. If Jesus' next words were, as Christians, we ought to walk on our hands from now on, we all should be getting blood going to our heads because we're walking on our hands. We all should have blisters on our hands. We all should buy Adidas for our hands. So what does he say? Therefore. And it's a Bible technique, or it's an understanding of how you read the Bible. What's, it says therefore, so you ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples. Or as it can be understood in some translations, as you go, disciple. Because this noun verbs. You hear me? Christian, his authority has now been activated by telling you what you ought to do, which is to make disciples, or as you go, disciple. As you go, make disciplined pupils of Jesus. Go and make disciples. I think we've settled for going to all the world, tell people Jesus' name, and have worship services, if I'm honest. And what he said was, go and make disciplined pupils of me. Have you ever read a passage over and over and know it pretty well and think that there's like no fruit left on the branch because you're like, oh, I've exhausted everything I know about this passage? Is that just me? Okay, I'm the prideful one. That's fine. I was reading this passage and I was studying it and I was finishing up sermon prep and everything and I read it and something new came to mind just the other day. It was crazy. What? Here's the thing. When you proclaim the gospel... When you proclaim the good news of Jesus and God is involved, it produces certain things in people. It produces certain reactions by people if God's involved. Now, here's the thing. Most people ignore it, right? Let's just be real. You all have seen the dude on the street corner. Some of you might be that dude, right? And it's just white noise, and you're just walking by and going, well, I'm glad I'm not like that guy, right? So some of us ignore it. But when God's involved and the truth is starting to penetrate a heart, there's, there's two reactions that tend to take place. We fight against it. What, you're going to tell me that I can't save myself? I'm a good person. No, you ain't. Only one who's good is Jesus. Compare yourself to him. Good luck. So we fight against it. Or if we proclaim the gospel and God's involved, you know what happens? People become committed followers of Jesus that grow to look more like him. But can we just be real, like in the church? That's not actually what tends to happen, right? People acknowledge that he exists, and they come to church, and they try to do the religious stuff, but they miss the whole point of being a committed, devoted follower of Christ. We have settled for people acknowledging Jesus' existence without any real devotion to the biblical Jesus. So Jesus says, go. Go where? <laughs> It's not really a where, but it's to a who. Of all nations, all types, all shapes, all sizes, all skin colors, all spiritual backgrounds, all political affiliations, all genders, all two of them. Make disciples. 
all nations. Wherever you go, there you are to serve Jesus. Wherever you go, wherever you are, there you are to serve Jesus. And so here's the thing about the Bay Area in particular. Jesus gives us this great commission to go, into, uh, to go and give all nations the truth of the gospel and see disciples made. And here's the great news about the Bay Area. You ready? Look around real fast. All the nations came here. You guys notice that? Different shapes and sizes and political affiliations and past experience. So wherever you are, there you are to serve Jesus. He says, baptize them. The word baptizo in Greek means to immerse. Immerse people in who God really is. See, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Doesn't make sense? We'll teach you about it another week. But immerse those you come in contact with who God really is. The biblical Jesus. Here, I'm going to give you a list, and I'm going to tell you which one you're going to hear. Are you ready? The second one. When we teach people the true, real, biblical God, when we teach people who he is, we teach about his holiness. We teach about his wrath. We teach about his forgiveness. We teach about his love, and we teach about his plan. But I hope you didn't just hear wrath, because that's not the end of the story. See, all the wrath was put on Jesus for your sin. And those who receive him will not experience the wrath because Jesus took it for you. So to make a disciple means that you don't hide who the subject matter really is. I'm, I'm not dissing other churches. I am glad there are other churches in the Bay Area. I pray for them consistently. I'm friends with most of the pastors in this area. But I don't want us to get up and teach you a TED Talk Word of God that we teach. Because it's the thing that changes people. It's the thing that transforms people. We had a couple that came here a few weeks ago. They've been coming a couple of weeks, and they said to me, yeah, we were looking at a bunch of different churches, and, and this was the one that didn't feel like a club. And they didn't mean like the Elks Lodge. They meant like uns, 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 uns. And it's no knock on if that's the way that God wants to use you to draw people? Cool. But you know how we think God wants to use us to draw people? By opening his word and teaching it. Teaching them, he says, to obey everything I have commanded. Great commandment. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say get them to obey. Whew. Hallelujah, because I suck at that. I don't know about you guys. See, your job, you can't get someone to obey. Your job is to teach. Your job is to instruct. Your job is to advise and point people towards the perfect one that they can pursue. How many of you have heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him? Oh, some of you have heard it. That's good. You can teach a person how to become a disciple, but you cannot make them a disciple. You cannot make them obey Jesus. But you can point them towards the truth if they want it. For every person that I've invested in, is Kevin in here? Kevin, where are you? Right there. Hi, Kevin. I'm calling you up later, just so you know. That was nice of me to tell you right now. 
for every guy that I've invested in, like Kevin or Scott, our youth director, who's pouring into the kids right now, I've seen God do amazing work through these young men. But for every Kevin and every Scott, there's been one or more people who I teach similar things to, spend the same amount of time with, literally do the same things with. They never really get it. They never really obey the word of God. That's the command. Not to get them to obey through legalism or liberty, but to train them on how they should go. You guys know Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We see this proverb often as only as instruction of raising children. Teach them about the Lord. Have Bible studies. Do devotion. Pray at dinner. These are the things that we assume that means. And we look at this verse and go, this is why at Church of the Valley we don't do child care. We invest in our children. If you brought a child here today and they are in our children's ministry, I can promise you two things that are happening. They're being prayed for and they're being taught about Jesus. But see, if you look at this verse, it's about discipleship. We invest in our people. Some of you came to Christ because of someone else in this room. You've been poured into, you've been invested, you've had examples of people that you could watch and follow and imitate as they follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And training up someone starts early in their spiritual journey. It requires teaching. Not teaching in the sense of orating information, but equipping others to know how to handle and apply the truth of God. Can I let you in on a little secret if you are being discipled right now? Can I let you in just a little secret? Like you have an individual that pours into you consistently. Here's the little secret. You ready? That's the exception to the rule, unfortunately. Discipleship isn't as consistent at all as it should be. And discipleship has been replaced for many years in the church with information dispensation and regurgitation. It was once said about the American church that we are far more educated than we are able to obey. So when we say discipleship, we may be defining it differently, maybe differently than you've heard it, maybe in college or in children's church back in the day or maybe at a church that you were at before. And we're not saying we're right and someone else is wrong, but because we really value this, we want to get clear on what we mean when we say discipleship. So I want to take you to a passage in Colossians that Ruth read, and it sheds some biblical light on what teaching means and what we teach and why. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 24. The letter of Colossians was written by Paul. He was imprisoned at the time, I believe in Rome, and this letter was written to the church in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey. Franco's. Colossae had both a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews, that came and brought a lot of mysticism, and they had a lot of Jews in this community that brought a lot of legalism. So Paul had to teach against both. And so his letter specifically is teaching against both. And Paul's going to give us some motivation for why he continues on pushing forward the Great Commission, making known that Jesus is the Christ, and making disciples of Jesus through the teaching of his word. So let's read. I'm going to read more of these verses and then walk through them. Verse 24. 
Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, Paul says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church, not the building, the people. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness and the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul was continuing the proclamation that the kingdom of God is now here on earth, as Jesus said. And that he is also getting, Paul in particular, is getting continued persecution that was first administered to Christ on the cross and now is being given to any of those who proclaim Jesus. Here's the thing, if you know Jesus and you show him off, you will be persecuted. Probably not like it is in Turkey. You might get defriended on Facebook. People might look at you weird. And so I feel like since the persecution is significantly less harsh, we ought to utilize the fact that we can make much of Jesus in this country. He was doing this. Paul was doing this because he, like you and I, are included in Christ if we've repented of our sin and trusted Jesus, which means we are part of his church, not the steeple of the people. And Paul is continuing this pursuit of making Christ known for the sake of his church that you and I can know Jesus experientially. He says, I become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Paul understood that his mission was to bring the word of God to the people, to their ears, to their understanding. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, which made no sense to those who did not have ears to hear. But now Paul gets to experience the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit gives those included in Christ the ears to hear, understand, and obey. And this mystery is fully realized in who? Jesus. But why? Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. He is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He is the one we proclaim. This statement means a lot to me, so much I named the sermon this. And it's the heart of everything we do as a church body. He is the one we proclaim. So why do we disciple other than he told us to? That's a pretty good reason, kind of like he told us to be baptized. We ought to if we've trusted him. But why do we proclaim him? Why do we disciple others? Because it's all about him, church. It's all about Jesus. From our children's ministry, to our worship gatherings, to our Bible studies, to our community groups, to our serving in the church, to our one-on-ones, it's all because he is the one we get to proclaim. From the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the epistles written by Paul and Jude and Peter, to the Proverbs, from all the Old Testament, from all the New 
Testament. We read, explain, and encourage you to apply this because he is the one we proclaim. I don't want you to miss this is kind of a big deal. When we gather together as a community, we value the word of God. Do you hear me? You can, you can make friends outside the walls, and my hope is you'd make friends to make much of Jesus, and you'd build relationships. I gotta be honest, for the first time in ministry ever, I have a bunch of friends. It's super weird. And I get to pastor them. And they get to encourage me and admonish me and challenge me. I love it. It's great. But you know what the thing that binds us? Christ. And what Jesus has done. So we value the word of God, not just geeking out in the original languages, that's what Pastor Mike does, <laughs> but reading and applying the word with Jesus in mind, which Pastor Mike also does. So how does the text point us to Jesus? How can we obey Jesus? How can we grow to look more like Jesus? These are questions we think of every time the word of God is opened. So when we say teaching, we mean about Jesus. We mean from his word, the word who became flesh. So Paul says, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. Anyone use admonish this week other than Mike? Okay. As we invest in others, we admonish. Here's what the word translates to. It's going to sound negative. Warn. We warn. It sounds negative, but it really isn't. You and I get to teach and warn others to engage in the most important relationship that could ever be had. You know why? Because before I had Jesus, I had nothing. So we get to warn people in a way to tell them, when you have Jesus, you have everything. See, we warn people not to just not sin. See, that's, that's what cults do and religions do. The goal is not to just get you not to sin because you'll just hide it better than others because you sin. But we warn people to follow Jesus because he's worth it. And as we admonish, as we teach with all wisdom, with the wisdom of the scriptures, the full counsel of scripture, we get to help others mature, to become fully mature. Anyone feel fully mature up in here? Cool, we got work to do. Fantastic, I will keep my job. Not sinless, the goal is not to make you sinless, but to make you exposed to the fact that you do sin and that you can repent. Not to make you perfect, but to help you pursue the perfect one, which is evidenced by progress in Christ's likeness and maturity. So discipleship is a means in which God uses his truth to sanctify us, to grow us, to spiritually change us, to look more like Christ. And so pointing others to Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus from the scriptures, is to help others know the true Jesus, to know him better, and to know him fully. The better we know Jesus personally and experientially, the more mature we become. If you have one takeaway, let it be that one. The more we know Jesus personally and experientially the more mature we become. This, means, this doesn't mean you know all the facts about Jesus. I know how many yards he rushed in his sophomore year. No! But we know him personally and experientially. You know why? Because we spend time with him. Are you guys picking up what I'm putting down? Maturity is not based on your religious works but your relational connection to Jesus. 
where maturity comes from. Spend time with different people in this church, and I leave so encouraged. You know why? Because I got to see them, I got to see their personal relationship with Jesus lived out as we talked. There's something beautiful about that. So a verse that we used pretty much all last year, and the year before, to be honest, was James chapter 1, verse 22. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James was warning those in the church about something we talk about a lot because a lot of us don't understand how detrimental it is to our spiritual growth when we do what he's explaining wrong. James uses a mathematical term. Anyone like math up in here? Anyone? Stephanie, that makes sense. Uh, Sam, of course. Okay, uh, perfect. All right, so he uses this mathematical term. So underline, if you're using our Bible, go for it, I don't care. Uh, Deceive yourselves, underline that. And the term that he was using in Greek means this, to miscalculate, to miscalculate. That's a mathematical term. And if we believe that all we need to do is hear the word, or, right, or read it, or even being in a room where it's being read, or explained. If we think that that's all we need to do, we have miscalculated our faith. Now, this should be offensive if you're listening. But it might be a rude awakening and even offensive to you to hear that maybe all your past faith wasn't biblical faith. Maybe it was spiritual superstition. Maybe it was just a want to come to church and do the thing that you think you ought to do each week and throw some money in the offering and Go and live your life however you want. But here's the thing with discipleship. It'll cost you your life. And biblical faith manifests itself through obedience to God for the right motivations. Don't miss that. That requires God to intervene. And you know how he intervenes? He gives you the Holy Spirit. His Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the work through the Holy Spirit is to help you apply the word of God to your life for the right motivations. John Calvin, so can't be a good sermon unless we quote a dead guy, right? John Calvin said, The doer is he who from the heart embraces God's word and testifies by his life that he really believes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Discipleship is the means in which the world not only gets to know Jesus, but they get to grow more like him if they are included in Christ, if they and you and I repent of our sin but uh, real talk, I'm going to start now. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a shadow to being a biblically focused church, a biblically focused person that is often overlooked in the Christian life. We've spoken about it often, but if you ignore or disobey, what happens to your heart? It hardens. Hardness of heart sets in in those who claim Christ and hear his commands, but they ignore the word of God or disobey. In fact, it may be bad for you to hear the truth week after week without any intention of obeying what the Lord says. Now, that doesn't mean don't come on a Sunday. Unless, actually, hold on. No. If you actively and knowingly are unwilling to put into practice his word, and you don't want to do what he says, matinees at movie theaters are super cheap on Sunday mornings. Just letting you know. 
But if you do not want to pursue what he has to say in the word of God as we read it, as we explain it, here's the thing. Your heart will become harder. It'll become more bitter towards the God of the Bible who you probably don't really know. I was sitting at a Pete's. Big shock, I know. And I was meeting with a buddy and this idea as we were talking about hardness of heart came to mind and I just want to paint this picture. Imagine a rushing river. And next to the river are trees and brush. And the wind's coming, and it's soothing, and it's nice. And all of a sudden, the wind starts to get bad like it was here the other day. And the wind comes, and it blows a branch off of the tree, and it falls in the rushing river. I didn't say Russian river. I said rushing river. And the tree branch lands in the river, and it starts to go down the river. As it's going down the river, this tree branch that's somewhat long, as it's going down the river, and water's going over it and through it and under it, the... The branches is, is stay in a word that I know all of us love to say, moist. And it's staying moldable and soft. Let's imagine that tree branch runs into a barge or a dam or somewhere where the water stops moving. That tree branch is going to be hollow and on top of the water. And what will happen is it will start to dry out. It will start to become hard. It will start to become that's a good example of our heart when we're unwilling to put in the work of obeying what the word of God says. When we do what he says, our heart stays moldable. Stays moist. <laughs> James continues in verse 23, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is stupid. No, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. <laughs> this analogy made no sense to me for a really long time because I don't think I had ears to hear it. See, Scripture, it's a mirror. It's a mirror. In which God presents himself to our view so that we may be transformed into his image. But in James, James is not, is, he speaks of the external glance of the eye. He speaks that you just kind of, oh, okay, and you just look in the mirror, but you don't really take into account what you're seeing. It's the striking comparison that doctrine merely heard and not received inwardly into the heart produces nothing because it soon vanishes away. You soon forget what you look like. To just hear the Bible may be enough to clear your religious conscience, but it is without any actual spiritual effect. So when we invest in people through teaching, we do not want to just hear ourselves talk. Okay, well, I'm going to teach you, and so let me explain all this. But we want to help invest in helping others obey what God says. And as we do that, we obey what God says. Howard Hendricks is known as the prophet very influential, read all of his books, appreciate his ministry, went to be with the Lord not too long ago. He says it this way, teaching is not instilling information, but helping the learner want to learn more. So the goal is not to just make you smarter. The goal is to make you realize that you need Jesus. So often we'll do four questions. We have different questions, specifically in the bulletin, but we also have the four questions that I do with every guy that I tend to meet with. What was your big takeaway? Who can you teach that to? 
What do you feel like God's telling you to do differently? And who will hold you accountable to do that? I do this with the guys I meet with on purpose. I do this with people I meet with once just to make sure that we're not just hearing the word of God and doing nothing with it. See, we care a lot about what's taught. We also care a lot about how you hear it as well. And if you want to grow, and, I, and, and this is real, real talk, so I said it twice. You ready? And I don't like emphatic statements because some of you are like, I'm going to prove him wrong. Don't do that. Uh, but here's an emphatic statement. If you are not teachable, and by teachable, what I mean is you are unwilling to listen to other people. You're unwilling to listen. Some circumstance happens and everyone's telling you the one way and you're like, well, they're all wrong. And you're unwilling to listen to other people. If you don't have someone speaking into your life, if you are not teachable, here's the emphatic statement, you will not grow spiritually. So why is it so important to teach? Because those who teach have to be teachable as well. You won't grow. You'll digress. Because you will eventually be exposed to someone who thinks that they're too good for God if you're not teachable. So we've been working on this teaching team in particular. We have this teaching team where we uh, have different leaders in the church that have different perspectives and uh, we see gifts in them as orators and communicators and so I have the opportunity of teaming with them and learning from them and having them speak into sermons and having them speak into different speaking engagements for themselves and for me and vice versa and we're, we're building this team. And it's not finished. There are many other communicators within this community that I think God's gonna raise up. But on this team, it's myself and Ruth Zilka and Karen Miller and Mike Miller and Scott Rudolph. And we meet semi-regularly, and uh, you're far away. Daniel, can you run over here real fast? And we meet semi-regularly, and let's turn it around on this side. Thanks, buddy. And as we meet semi-regularly, great job, you're a scholar and a pro, as we meet Regularly, one of the things that we're in particular working on is what we call the process. And I call that that for John Colburn. But really, it's from death to life to maturity. And the idea from death to life to maturity is this. Let me just be real. I've done enough ministry in churches that we think sanctification happens accidentally. We don't realize that it's actually something where God is doing the work, but we are actually... Uh, committing to him and, and working alongside him. We're not talking about justification. That's all God. You didn't do nothing. But when it comes to actually growing to look more like Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit and you obeying the word together. And ironically, the Holy Spirit's the one that hel- helps you actually obey in the first place. So it kind of is all God. Anyway, so from death to life to maturity. And so we've, this isn't done. This is erasable, it better be, it's erasable marker. And we as a team have been sitting down and I'm walking through these things with them and then they're building different teaching, teachings on this to teach me and then we're going to come up with something and we're going to give it to the elders and we're going to have the elders speak into it. We're going to walk through these different things and then we're going to teach the community this process and help us grow to look more like Jesus formally. Because I think that's something that this church would benefit from. And so this is the type of stuff we're working on. We're working on different ways to communicate the truth of God. And so this is the last verse. Worship team, you're almost about to be called up, which is a total lie. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you, Peter says, have purified yourselves by what? Attending church? Nope. Obeying the truth 
so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We don't teach each other in individual relationships. We don't teach each other Bible so we'll be more educated. We teach one another the Bible because it's a mirror that actually shows us where and how we can grow. And when we know this is from God, love is produced for one another. We look to the word and as it sanctifies us, we are then activated in love to care more deeply for the one another's. Now I know how some of you are gonna hear what I just said and even that verse. You're gonna look at it and go, man, I need to go somewhere and just love on the unlovable people. You know where they are? They're sitting by you. So I am not gonna argue with you about loving people outside of the church at all. Please do it. But I always wanna base it on the context in which it's being spoken. And what Peter's talking about is the one another's, brothers and sisters in the church. The one time, not, no, that's not true. The one time I hate myself the most was when I taught a passage like this incorrectly. And Mike called me out on it when he was my elder. Hey, he's still my elder. <laughs> I wholeheartedly believe that as a church, the bride of Christ, God's plan A that we ought to love one another. The church context to build one another up and then be able to invest in other people outside the church. I asked our youth director, Scott Rudolph, the other day, and I have the honor of discipling him. He's on the teaching team, been meeting with him for a few years. I said, what difference has consistent Bible teaching meant for you? And here was his response. He said, it has equipped me to read the Bible, to understand what it actually says, and it has allowed me to have someone speak into my life and point me towards obedience to God. I also get the, <clears throat> I'm not going to cry. I also get the absolute honor of discipling Kevin Chang, who this is his last Sunday. And Kevin's going to be going uh, first to Colorado to be more equipped to then go do missions in overseas and then hopefully, by God's grace, in Nepal. And I've been able to meet pretty consistently with him for the past seven years since I saw him come to faith at Panda Express. And I asked him, I said, other than people, what are you going to miss the most about being here? And his response was being invested in as consistently as I have been. Church, we want to be a people that invest our time, our treasure, and our talents into other people because you know what the ministry is? It's the people. Because when we do, <laughs> when we're willing to pour out our lives into other people, this crazy thing happens. You ready? We grow. Because disciples disciple. Disciples disciple. Disciples disciple.